and welcome back to Vox Podcast, the weekly pseudo-acronym roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Monica and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Good. You know what? I actually have something for this. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you were just going to yell at me because I forgot to ask you like some random question from a, no, from a robot. No, I actually have something new in my life. Oh, okay. okay. I am learning to ride a bicycle. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, we, we saw the pictures. Good for you. Yeah. I finally got up the hill that I couldn't get up today. Like, I, I mean, I didn't do it well. Like, I, I still can't like make tight turns. But I, I got up the hill and I also haven't hit anyone. So a <laughs> positive achievement. Yep. <laughs> Hannah, this is something that you and I actually have in common, which is that I also can barely ride a bicycle. I have some friends who tried to teach me. They were like, do you want to come to Central Park for a picnic? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I got there and I was like, where's the picnic? And they were like, surprise, bitch, you're going to learn to ride a bike. <laughs> 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 and, and you know what? I managed That's to stay beautiful. on and not hurt a person for like a good like quarter of a mile and I was like that's it I have learned to ride a bike and they were like no 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 like you you have to do more of it so the fact that you are telling me that you are continuing to learn to ride this bike means that you're already steps ahead of me and I am I have great respect for you is what I'm saying (laughs) thank you although I gotta say you're you're probably less injured than I am right now (laughs) how do we have two out of five co-hosts who just you know are in their 30s and never learned to ride bikes Okay, (laughs) you grow up on a street where the cars like speed like 60 when they're supposed to be going like 30 and no sidewalks. It was also also the 70s and and no one cared about us. (laughs) I I will say that my mother was like, no, this is not happening. I'm not going to lose my child to. Yeah, like as a millennial child, you have what I am going to call a self-preservation gene that's pretty, pretty strong in terms of like there are two parenting styles for millennial kids, one of which is eh, if they'll break it, they'll learn. And the other one, which is that you have glass bones and paper skin. And I'm and you read a lot. And just knowing everything that I know about both Hannah and myself, I'm going to say that we probably fit into the read a lot kids category. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, no, uh, yeah, yeah, we didn't have any of that when I was a child. Yeah. It was just like, here, go outside, don't come back for two or three days. Right, right. I was I was <laughs> I was I was a Gen Xer growing up in the ghetto and it was like, you know, it's literally don't come home till the street lights are on, like because we don't want to see you. And also, you know, if you die, there's two more, you know. Yeah. I was out I was out out in the middle of nowhere and the nearest neighbor to play with was like a mile and a half, two miles away. So a bike was kind of essential. Yeah. yeah. And 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 you know it's in the country there was a car oh once every two or three hours maybe oh so. yeah, there, were cars, there were cars on my street constantly it's just no one cared it was just like yeah like we like i i live somewhere where literally we played football in the middle of the street and then like just every minute and a half when a car came by someone yelled car and everybody yeah. scrambled <laughs> everybody scrambled and then like and then you got back and, and and started playing tackle football in the middle of the street again because that's how gen xers were and we liked it we liked it fine. <laughs> so speaking of sports, yes. but not football. Yes. Oh, nice transition. Wow. Very good. Look at yeah. that. We, wow. we happened accidentally into a relevant conversation. That's 
amazing. What What's the topic today, Hannah? We are going to talk about a league of their own on Amazon Prime, which honestly, I never thought I'd say, let's do a show that promotes Amazon in some <laughs> way. But this show is so good. I didn't know if I would love it or not, but I loved it so much. And I thought, I honestly thought I was watching it. Monica needs to watch this. Wayne and Mav <laughs> need to watch this. So, so, so now it's happening. So now we're going to talk about baseball. Yeah, it, it was definitely on my radar. It was filmed mostly here in Pittsburgh. And I know a lot of people worked on the show. And you know, I, I remember watching the movie way back when. Mm-hmm. And I remember liking it, but I didn't have this like, oh, my God, that's such a great movie. I can't wait to see the show. Oh, Wayne, Wayne. I, it's the best I, baseball movie. Well, yes. But I see I've seen like two baseball movies because <laughs> I could care less. Oh. <laughs> and I, I liked it, but it was before you were born, Hannah. So I don't remember much about it. Uh, it, it, so, it, was, it. It came out in, I think, 92. Yeah. And I was born in 91. Oh, so okay. I mean, I didn't I didn't see it until okay. later, but right. No. Yeah. No, um, and, and my my tendency of just not rewatching stuff. Like, I remember liking yeah. it, but but I you know I didn't come into it just like oh here's this thing that I remember and whatever. But I you know I, I certainly had an interest into it in it. But I came to it without reading very much about it ahead of time, and it, so my expectations were the show was very different than what my expectations were. But I think that was a very positive thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, the show was very different from what the movie yeah. was. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. surprised a lot of people. But we you know we could we, we should introduce the guests yeah. first. Yeah. Because, you know, Hannah, it's actually, it's so funny that you were like, Monica would love this because I did love it because my dad loves baseball history. So I did sort of grow up like, like every birthday and Christmas, you're like, let's go find a baseball history book and give it to dad. And like, let's watch the the Ken Burns documentary. And let's, you know, let's do all of the things that, that white men do when they love baseball. And so, you know, I, I'm really excited about our guests because we have a, someone who, I think has a different take on all of the things that white men love about baseball, <laughs> which is to say that there's a lot more to know about baseball. So I would like to welcome our guest, Ornella. Ornella, if you'd like to uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi. Yes. So my name is Ornella and I happen to teach in the human kinetics department in a small university in Nova Scotia, Canada called St. Francis Xavier University. So I teach and research uh, sport history. Uh, I do specialize in Black Canadian sport history and definitely a lot of baseball there, which is very Mm -hmm. curious because I don't actually necessarily care about the actual current baseball. (laughs) You'll never never truly catch me with the baseball on on my TV, really. But I am interested in the history of it and the stories around it and the past of it is very fascinating to me. So that's what I do. And so I was super interested in the series once I saw that they seemed to want to introduce a character, a black character which went way, you know left field from the the movie. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of expectations of the show for sure going in. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Looking forward to having people to discuss this with because I think when I started it, I went on a long Twitter thread just documenting my every thought about the whole series and then ended up watching it the whole just in one sitting so looking forward to actually speak to someone instead of almost just myself (laughs) that's why we started the show show. yeah (laughs) 
Hopefully maybe then we should start with everyone's just initial reactions of think of their own. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's funny because you guys talked about, you know, white, old white men in baseball, but that's also old black men, right? I grew up and my grandfather was a World War II vet who came back from the war to work at a steel plant and play baseball every Saturday for like the rest of his life. Well, not not quite the rest of his life, but until he was definitely too old to play anymore. He played in, you know, Saturday and Sunday, essentially beer leagues for like a better term for decades. He would just be out there and that's, you know, that's what he did. He went out and he played baseball. And my grandfather was often on quote unquote integrated teams in that he was the black guy on the several times because even for a lot of teams, even outside the majors, they have a lot of Negro teams versus white teams and Negro leagues versus white leagues. And my grandfather was just sort of well known around the Lorraine and Cleveland baseball circuit enough that like he ended up playing on a lot of otherwise white teams. So I grew up just watching that and hearing stories of Negro leagues and stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm not quite old enough to have seen Negro League baseball, but I grew up watching the then Cleveland Indians and going to baseball and playing you know, little league games myself. And so that's so I like yeah. this. I like this a lot. This was like yeah. very much a childhood kind of thing for me. Yeah, I same. I grew up. I, I said I didn't care, but I grew up very much in a baseball family. I was not a baseball kid. I played in little league when I was 12 and my coach in an effort to boost my self-esteem actually gave me the number zero. True story. But my <laughs> what you described about your granddad, that's very much my dad. He was World mm-hmm. War II veteran. As we've discussed on the show before, he is old. I was a late in life child, but he baseball was his thing. Like he and he still to this day, he will sit and watch the game. My brother, who is significantly older than me, wanted to be a pitcher. I wanted to be a comic book artist and a writer. He wanted to be a <laughs> professional baseball pitcher. So I definitely grew up in that world with that around me all the time. And I, I watched this and there's some of it. My mother is of the age of the women in the show at that time. So you know, she's told me stories of just working and, and all the men being gone and the war and all that stuff. So there were elements of just that world that I felt familiar with through my mother's stories. But yeah, I, I thought just the, the whole, I thought the dialogue was just spot on throughout the series, just places I thought really kind of brilliantly written, very natural dialogue and, and just liked all the characters, felt like I related to them. And maybe that's a topic we can get into later, that whole, you know, crazy fanboy anti Star Trek. There's no one here I can identify with white boy thing. Like, I, you know, like I, there's no one on that show that I am, but I didn't have any problems relating to their humanity. So, yeah. Am I the only baseball person here? Um, no, I like baseball. No, I like okay. baseball. Okay. Just, like, like, yeah. okay. So I, I, I currently live in Durham. So, yeah. Cool. Like, and, you know, before pandemic, you guys times, have a movie. Yeah. all the way. And, and so, I think, I think it says something I think Leave Their Own is like the best baseball movie. Got me maybe more than anyone else. But I, I love the sister ha- sisterhood aspect of the first movie. And I love how the show translated that ideal of sisterhood beyond like the, you know, biological family and I just this show was so joyful and also just I was I was just sobbing at the end but in a good way it's it's just so good I I don't even like know what to say except like I non-transparently made us do a show on this because A I thought it was good and B I want Amazon to renew it so listeners <laughs> go watch it <laughs> I think the really nice thing about sisterhood and, and the portrayal in the show too was that it wasn't just like team sisterhood 
Mm-hmm. But I'm always really interested in the idea of diverse representations of what womanhood and femininity can be. Mm-hmm. And there's something really nice about all of the portrayals and the fact that you are seeing the ability to bond, not just within the team setting, but all, my favorite relationship. And it's probably no surprise because I am like comic book fan was like, I love Max and Clance so they were much. Amazing. They were they so were amazing. The greatest, yeah. They just are. Nothing bad is allowed to happen, guy. I will be so upset. Nothing bad is allowed to happen to Clance. I will be so upset. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I was just thinking about the par- like the parody of you and your brother like wanting to be like a comic book artist yeah. and a pitcher. <laughs> yes. And, and yes. Max and Clance in this cute yeah. like house together where one of them wants to be a comic book artist yep. and the other one wants to be a pitcher and and honestly just like there are a lot of commonalities that we don't usually talk about despite having co-hosts that love baseball and love comics between sort of like collectability and this idea of like the hero who is larger than life when it comes to like baseball icons and baseball cards that's very similar and and sort of the propaganda and the Americana of of comics and of baseball all Mm -hmm. during this World War II era that ends Mm -hmm. up having a lot of through lines that isn't something that I had necessarily connected before I had the chance to see someone like Lance represented mm-hmm. on screen and the fact that she was using her interest in comics to not just write sort of World War II Captain America punching Nazi comics, but also commentary about her life in the factory comics, which I feel like is another part mm-hmm. of comics history well, that we yep. really don't ever see represented on screen of this idea of comics as oh, like very purposeful social commentary or very purposeful underground publications that are doing the things that the big publishing houses mm-hmm. like Marvel and DC aren't yeah. able to do with time. Well, so that for well, me was probably my favorite part of the series. Yeah. And while we're talking about Clance and we'll get back to baseball off of comics and a second but she was very definitely influenced and, and hannah had sent a, a link to our group chat about this by some early black women cartoonists very specifically a woman by the name of jackie orms mm-hmm. who is a pittsburgh native originally she did uh, several comic strips there was a newspaper here in pittsburgh the pittsburgh courier and they referenced the chicago defender in the show and that the last strip she was doing just factory work and all that stuff very much feels like the, the last one that clance was working on in the show very much feels like some of the stuff Jackie Orm worked on strips like oh my mind because Torchy Brown was, was one of them and and several others but yeah just that sort of thing and it's it's funny not to poo poo the show but there were as the comics fan in me there were little things like Clance is talking about getting a letter published like they didn't start having letters pages in comics till the 1950s but <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah. such a, a minor kind of thing that only nerds like me know um, there a couple, they did they yeah, did there a lot a of that. Like that too. yeah yeah yes. yeah, yeah we saw an action comics number one in 19. 43. And okay, it could still be around, but that was five years after it came out. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I say, that, those are such minor, you know, just my neurodivergent comics brain picks up on those things. So. But anyway, no, I just, I loved her and, and their relationship. Yes, absolutely. No, it's funny because that, that's the thing, Clance, uh, we're talking about that idea of a diverse cast of femininities, right? You have all kinds, you just, there, there's so many people, there's so many ways to be a woman on that show, you know, uh, and, and not, you know, there isn't some kind of, 
it's not clear exactly who might you can choose who is your main character i guess in Mm. in some Mm -hmm. ways you know Um, and so i I just definitely loved max and and clans there's no question that my first exclamation was oh janet from you know the good places on this show (laughs) and then the second was clans is a comic book artist like that those were the biggest (laughs) biggest monumental things that just got me hooked like from that yeah. first the first few scenes that was like okay i'm i'm here to stay there's no yeah. <laughs> question uh, i'm here to stay yeah <laughs> i mean even when it comes to femininity among the the team as well so I saw a post by Tracy, who's the costume designer for A League of Their Own. And the the character, the actress who plays Maybell, Molly, was <laughs> pregnant during the entire shooting. And like really? very, very, very pregnant during the shooting. And the, and the idea that through costuming and through using like patterns and silhouettes, they were able to hide the very, very pregnant baseball player no. is just That's incredible I, I to me. And the, on top of that, she's playing a mom who like is having a break from her kids. Like yeah. so many layers of, of the fact that we are having sort of the real world connections of this idea of like layers of, of femininity that are being portrayed like on and off screen was just that's really special to me. She she cracked me up. I wondered about the pregnancy thing because the last couple of episodes in particular, like lots of scenes of her sitting down with blankets on her lap and that sort of thing like hmm yeah <laughs> she is like the, the way they used to, yeah behind yeah. the scenes like eight <laughs> and a half eight and three quarters <laughs> months pregnant she's so pregnant that's great <laughs> they used to hide, hide pregnancy on like old 60s in yeah. the way like, like first season of i dream of genie if you ever see it she is pregnant the entire season and since that character is is defined by like literally the entire point of I Dream of Genie is she is you know lady in a sexy costume that's like that, that, that I mean that, that's right, her job right that, that that was the pitch and then so Barbara Eden shot the pilot and then got pregnant between the time that the pilot was picked up and when they started filming the first episode and she thought she was going to have quit the show and the producers were like nah we like you we're going to work around it and literally like the entire first season other than the first episode the entire first season of I Dream of Genie Genie just walks around behind stuff like (laughs) that's so hilarious because i just recently rewatched the mentalist Mm -hmm. i don't know if anybody has has watched that Mm -hmm. and i in rewatching it i noticed that i don't know her name the actress who plays the character named grace van pelt she gets pregnant in the middle of some season and i didn't notice the first time around but this time around i noticed that she was always sat and it worked out because her character can be left sort of behind that she can be on the computer but she just sat the whole time mm-hmm. and then strategically was behind something when they met in a in, in a hallway somewhere and you know her face was just kind of different and then she mm-hmm. goes away on some training and comes back and all, all of a sudden she goes on missions again so so I love those stories of behind the scene pregnancies like the X-Files as well it happened mm-hmm. where they keep the person and just find how ways to just strategically <laughs> 
hide yeah, free, them away. Yeah, free, I, I, my, Fraser had um, Daphne dealing with weight gain for like right. she was just got she got fat, and it's like that's that's not overweight even. That's, that's you're rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, my, my favorite is the nanny and the actress who played Cece got pregnant, and they didn't really hide it. They just made mm-hmm. fun of it because they like like oh. all these like strategic things. They were like not making fun of pregnancy, but just making fun of like the strategic like ways oh, okay. that like like sex like, yes. always be painted in front yeah. of your yes. hoo-ha yeah. in yeah. renaissance paintings <laughs> there's, there's, there's a line where she's like i was watching some sitcom and it's just ridiculous how they have all these women carry these giant purses and like plants or whatever to hide their pregnancy and then of course she like walks out of the room like holding a giant plant so yeah i you know i i remember from the 90s but that which i guess you know is is just to you know i guess in some ways like a league of their own that they're the 90s movie is extremely beloved yeah and it is a good movie but it there there were just things that it's like very different yeah they, they, i mean there are things like you know rosie o'donnell has like talked about how she played her character gay and that is how she saw it and they were like well we can't really tell queer stories while filming this in the 90s and mm-hmm. very clearly 2022 was like no we are going <laughs> all in we are going to tell these stories and in fact i've been sending articles to the group chat and a lot of them have come from like Will Graham, who's one of the co-creators of the show. He's doing a really great job, like tweeting about the history and like where they were inspired from. But like they consulted with a woman who played in the original league and she actually didn't come out until like now in her 90s, like while like working on the show, like officially. Mm-hmm. Mm. So like it's it's one where I Maybell? Never... Because I know that and we're talking about Maybell or the character or the actor who plays Maybell and I believe there's a Maybell mm-hmm. League player who's like 95 and who's yes. been and she, she worked on a show is it her or yeah yeah it's, it's Maybell okay. Blair I will find the article and I will put it in the notes the article talks a lot about how like that yeah they consulted with her and she helped them understand what the leagues were like and a quote from like Abby Jacobson is like she had not been publicly out and talked about how in the league a lot of women were queer and it was like a part, hidden part of the experience mm-hmm. and there's like some stuff like from Maybell talking about like how her experience has been like working on the show and like finally talking about like everything that happened. I I hate to stereotype here but like my mom played NCAA golf and comes from a family of professional golfers and it's one of those where like her aunt was a was a lesbian and a nun and we are talking about spaces in which like the idea of women congregating is somehow seen as like dangerous like the, there is a lot of queerness in these spaces just based on the fact that it's one of the few places where women are not sort of required to be attached to a man and no one's asking questions about it. Like mm-hmm. we do sort of have to remind ourselves of like, of course, these were queer spaces because these were one of the only places where even though you are having to still hide your your queerness, like that you are allowed to more socially acceptably be queer than other spaces at that point in time. And that's 
super shitty, right? That you're still having to to hide these parts of yourselves. <laughs> but these are pockets that otherwise did not exist. And and that's really important to still respect the duality of those two histories, right? No. It is weird because, I, yes, I get why on some level, some people might be tired of the stereotype of, well, why do they have to be gay just because they're women athletes? And, you know, certainly they don't have to be. And but I do like how the show addresses it through Max's mom, right? Max's mom is just basically afraid that she's going to be, you know, an invert, as she calls it, you know, because she's too into this boyish thing of playing baseball. That is part of the stereotype. It is part of the fear. And it is, you know, period accurate, right? It is what you would be afraid of in that respect. And it's it's And then the irony is that she gets hired to be a lady, right? And it's that right. she gets hired because it's actually for her femininity rather than like her mom's right. fear, which is that it's it's her, for lack of better phrasing, like, you know, her masculine characteristics. Yeah, but uh, but also yeah. it's weird because I think we focus, and this is, I think, what, what you guys were getting at, we focus on the queerness aspect when it's female people congregating in a way that we don't when there are male people congregating despite the fact that stereotypically male sports also have gay people in them. It's just that it's often hidden, you know, often it's not hidden in, in, in women's sports, but in male leagues, there is a presumption that we can pretend it's not there because this is really boys being boys, you know, playing in their masculine sports. And we can just pretend that there's not a queer element to baseball or football or pro wrestling, right? Like, like pro wrestling conceptually is is the gayest thing ever but like we look at it like it's this manly thing because like that's just like sort of the way that we envision it and then we you know because of the way we do the male gaze basically when you substitute women for the men in the sport we add the sexuality angle back in in a way that culturally we have a hard time escaping and therefore it becomes visibly queer and transgress you know like that is that is so true because when it's sort of like a through line historically speaking where sport is an extension of men being able to congregate socially out, you know, in a public right. space and and control everything and 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 be social, whereas the woman is simply kind of supposed to leave the, the, he, the her father's and 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 maybe brother's home to go to her husband's home and stay domestic and stay kind of uh, shut in. So when women get out into sport, it, I mean, sport is that emancipatory space to begin with because it opens up the social space for women, not just for them to be able to play sports like like boys and men, but also to be able to be social and be out in the in the in the social sphere. And, you know, it, it kind of is the door to them being able to enter all kinds of supposedly male domains. So so their the meaning of them being outside is quite different from the meaning of of the men being outside and being you know congregating and like you say it's it's sort of suddenly there's all these 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 questions of why are you not with the men you're supposed to be with the Mm -hmm. boys you're supposed to Mm -hmm. take care of or the the father they're supposed to take care of you it just it it just raises all kinds of questions that the boys don't face because they're supposed to be there traditionally Mm -hmm. this is a, a place they're actually meant to be and if you're not as a boy you're actually questioned for not being there and you're gay Mm -hmm. 
for not being there, not for I, being there. I, and I think culturally, just in the 1940s, that was happening. I Once again, conversation with my mom, the men were all gone. Mm-hmm. So women were congregating more, you know, go, just, you know, straight, queer, whatever. They were going out with each other, working in, in a public space in ways they never had before because the men were all gone. So I think culturally, just what was going on with the war and everything allowed that to happen in certain ways that it hadn't before then. Yeah, I, all I can think of from the show is that actually it's like the opening scene. I mean, and there are a lot of instances of this, I think, in the show. But Carson is literally running away from her. Yeah, well, yeah. Like she is being judged by the members of her community for running away from her home. Like she's supposed to be, you know, waiting around to support Charlie. And, and when Charlie reappears in the latter half of the season, she, she also literally is running away from that life. Uh, never does she look more dead inside whenever he, like, you know, asks about, like, what about kids? And mm. and she's like, but I want to play baseball. And we see this, I think, too, with, in a different way with Max. Her mother even acknowledges, like, I knew you'd never get a husband, so I've been trying to build the shop for you. Clance, like, even, like, you know, Clance is her best friend and understands her in ways that many people do not, but even at one point she's like, oh, you should be with Gary. So, like, mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. be married and be, like, best friends and be neighbors and, like... Our kids grow up together. Yeah. And, yeah, Clance yeah, uh, at some point calls... It, it shows a lot of homophobia, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When she comments on her uncle and things get... You, you just see Max shut down because if she can't even open up to Clance, this is mm-hmm. pointless. Mm-hmm. And yet Clance also... I, the, one of the reasons I like the character of Clance a lot is I love her homophobia. I, I, so, I thought that was so important because she looks at Bert. Bert, Bert. By the way, Hannah said this at the beginning. Go watch this show. And if you've gotten this far, <laughs> if you've gotten this far into our episode, obviously there's spoilers just here because we can't really talk about the show without it. But Max's uncle is a trans man, though I don't think they ever used the word that term in, no, the, no. in the show because they wouldn't have had it. But is a woman living as a man and living entirely as a man in in nineteen. I think it's supposed to be like nineteen forty two is when it's just somewhere in there. It's you know during the war yeah. and uh, and so her uncle is a trans man and uh, Clance very specifically says, "Well, you're not a freak like that." To Max, which mm-hmm. breaks Max's heart. That said, Clance and Max's relationship is the pinnacle of homosociality. Like that is like everything about the way Clance feels about Max is in a very intimate, very touchy feely you know relationship with the literal exception of the fact that they just don't have sex with each other like they sleep in the same bed they mm-hmm. cuddle and there's a point where they're on a double date and Clance's husband says to Gary the guy who's trying to, to date Max he says yeah just you got to get used to the fact that they love each other more than they're going to love us and they talk to each other in a way that you're never going to understand you're never going to get into the in between this relationship understand that they are the primary relationship and you're just along for the ride and you'll be fine but he has that conversation with him because this is this is indicative of the way Clance feels. Clance knows that her most important relationship her soulmate is Maxine. It's just Mm -hmm. that you know she can't go any further than that because I'm not gay and that's homophobic but also kind of awesome because that's what time is right like that's Mm -hmm. that's absolutely who she would be and I loved the honesty of that portrayal like the fact that the show is not allowed to show you what frankly is a very ugly side of Clance's personality and yet I can still think that she's the best person on the show. She is, she is absolutely amazing, right? And the show does show ugly sides of everyone's personality, even yeah. though yes. we love that. Like, I, I love that so 
but there's been brilliant like analysis I, I've seen on Twitter of Carson and how she is deliberately written with flaws and how she's not a white savior character whatsoever. We talked about it. Carson's the main character. We've, we've not, we, I don't think we've mentioned her on the show yet, but Carson is actually is probably mm-hmm. the protagonist of the show. And, yeah. yeah. She's the main Rockford Beach who eventually mm-hmm. is the coach of the team. But there is that, that whole scene with Lupe after mm-hmm. Carson and Lupe get into a fight. And Lupe's like, well, why do you think that I'm getting blamed for everything? And mm-hmm. Carson isn't. You know, Max's mother, like you can tell that she has gone through a lot and works super hard and she really cares about Max and Clay, even though she very clearly makes a lot of mistakes. And some of the most heartbreaking moments in the show are between Tony, Max's mother, and Bert and Max and Tony and like their inability to connect because Tony just can't. But I just, everyone is written with flaws and it's interesting how they eventually make Max and Carson like kind of friends and have them have conversations with each other and those conversations and how they're staged and what is said is so deliberate and Mm -hmm. so interesting. Mm -hmm. Especially when she calls her out. Yeah. 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 Because that's a friendship that would have been difficult to have at that time. Well, and they can only have it because no one sees it. They're literally literally friends because they hang out in a backwoods baseball park that no one's going to, right? Like yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's where their relationship is. They are hanging yeah. out in the woods, you know, and <laughs> away and, from everyone they know. Yeah, at night. night. Yeah. Which is something that is really I mean, hammered home when, when Carson shows up at the factory and Clance is yeah. like, oh, oh my gosh, yes. of of her being like, how do you know this white lady and are you in trouble? And also yeah. no yeah. one should see you talking to this white lady because then mm-hmm. it will cause mm-hmm. trouble. Like, Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and neither of them discussed that friendship with anybody else on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, that, it's that's what one thing that to me fe- felt very different from any other show I guess I watch is that in some ways it felt like two different shows. You had mm-hmm. Max yeah. and Clance, and then you had the Peaches, and mm-hmm. there was a crossover once in a while with yeah. uh, Carson and Max because really their stories were separate. It was a whole yeah. different like it was it, it was just two different shows. <laughs> one thematically sometimes linked, yeah. yeah thematically linked by baseball but yeah you're absolutely yes. right well, that, yeah. I, I was kind of worried about the show actually before before i started watching it because i saw the cast right i saw the, the trailer and i was like eh, i don't know that i want them to do a show pretending that like you know women's baseball was just integrated yes yeah. And, that, yeah. And, and, I, and i like that's that was my fear from the commercials it's mm-hmm. like and it's I didn't not understand how they were gonna pull it off either because right. yeah, yeah. and, and they and the answer is they don't do they don't do that. They do a show where I called Carson the the main character because because the the previews, the trailers and the fact that it's linked to, you know, the film essentially say this is the story of the Rockford Peaches and therefore Carson is in the Gina Davis role and therefore Carson is the main character. It's Max is just as much the main character. And the other show is the fact that, you know, there's just this woman who just wants to she just wants a shot at this dream that she can't have purely because of the color of her, of her skin. And, you know, this is free Jackie Robinson days. So she can't mm-hmm. just go be a Rockford Peach. She, mm-hmm. she just yep. can't, even though she mm-hmm. obviously deserves to be. Carson says from the very first time they play ball together, Carson's like, you are the best pitcher I have ever played with, like ever. And 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 Carson at this point is a professional baseball player. So she's played mm-hmm. with lots of pitchers. And that is an issue. And that's that's just the story. Story. And I love that the show is not afraid to deal with that story. And mm-hmm. I love yeah. that Carson doesn't un- 
understand it. The fact that that's what really makes makes the show for me. Every time that Max and Carson interact, Carson has racial privilege being a white lady from Idaho that she is entirely unaware of. Yeah, she is. She also has sexual privilege. She does not understand. There's a lot of there's a lot of her not understanding the queer community. Like she's just like when she yes. gets to her first gay bar and she's like, oh, gay bars are a thing like that. <laughs> it's a, it's hilarious. But also like Carson is completely unaware of how, you know, how good her life is for someone who can pass because she's not butch. Right. And yeah. she doesn't understand how good her life is because she's white and she just doesn't get it. And that's great. It, 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 it is honest and it's great to see to see Max not even be able to explain it to her. Just like you, you really think because Carson's like, I just wish you could be on the team. That would make my life easier. And Max says, would make your life easier? Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And and also pointing out that she didn't lift an, a, an, well, anything when she showed up at the tryouts and was sent away, right? Mm-hmm. Just that that one, I loved that was put in. Like if, it, if they had messed up everything else, but put that in, I was glad that she, she actually called her out for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like to kind of get at what you're saying, Mav. If you listen to this show regularly, you know that like one of our biggest issues on this show with things like Bridgerton is they ignore history and sort of just like try and paste over it to make things joyful. But this show, like I appreciate how it was still joyful, but it didn't ignore history. Mm-hmm. And in fact, also like old history and like, surface histories that people know about. Like people know that black women played in the Negro Leagues alongside men. Like there are books about those women, but not a lot of people know. Like, like you know, it's sort of like there people have learned from like Watchmen, for example, that mm-hmm. you know, about about the Tulsa Massacre. So mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of people who didn't realize like that black women were playing professional baseball in the 1940s, even though they couldn't be part of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. They, they were traveling. And I also like, I didn't even think like about, you know, oh, oh, like we they had players in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League from like Canada, Spanish speaking mm-hmm. players. Like I did not think that they were there. But, you know, I didn't like think concretely, oh, I wonder like where these players are from until this show really started surfacing that history and like I think brought a lot of attention to things people just didn't know or think about. No, I I, I appreciated that as well. I mean, as a, as a history person, as the, as, a, as a sport history person, I appreciated them <laughs> showcasing it. Though I was a bit disappointed that in many ways it, with the Max and Clance show, it was not really about baseball. She barely mm-hmm. played any baseball. She just mm-hmm. never got a chance to play yeah. baseball and it didn't even... I don't know. They they could have. I just felt like show us at least flashbacks when she was a little girl and besting all the boys on the field because she just didn't play baseball until the, until the very very end. And mm-hmm. um, and and you know they had to have a bit of creative liberty there because really she doesn't until about the forty eight or in the fifties. That's when Tony Stone and and all the women. What is it? Three or four women that yeah. get into the Negro leagues. So technically, really, yeah. she is shut down at that tryout and doesn't show up again for years on an actual baseball, baseball field with the Negro Leagues. But, you know, they had to somehow they brought it a bit earlier and, and she goes on tour or, well, spoiler alert, she gets to play much earlier than historically uh, black women were allowed mm-hmm. to play because they start playing once baseball gets integrated and the Negro Leagues are on their way down and mm-hmm. suddenly they're recruiting women to create more interest to you know as as because it's hinted at the fact
fact that they're not really playing straight ball. It's a bit of a show. It's a bit of a carnival. Mm -hmm. It's very spectacular. And so the women are are brought in for that reason. I actually really appreciated the moment in which Max chokes because I think that that really mm-hmm. like helps to emphasize the fact that she is not being given opportunity and and the way that like she can't practice with anyone like that is such a huge mm-hmm. barrier to entry for someone who wants to be able to play on a team sport right and and so I just thought that that was a really great moment to show how much more she has to overcome than everyone else instead of it mm-hmm. being the sort of story of like oh you just are the best pitcher I've ever seen and mm-hmm. that for me was like part of when we're getting at like this idea of stories that are trying to tell the reality of the situation I thought that that was a really big moment and something that I hadn't really seen before is this idea of how many more hurdles there are for somebody like Max or or yeah. even for somebody there's this running joke for for Carson where they keep being like you look like a farm girl and and it's it's a really <laughs> great example of like how people are clocked and and are dismissed based on their appearance in a way that like is being done to someone who doesn't even realize like how harmful that could be if the conclusion that was being come to was something other than like you look like a farm girl right you look you look like your skin is too dark you look like you are too gay or whatever those things happen to be and there and there are moments on the show that do address those things but I really mm-hmm. appreciated that the joke about her Carson being a farm girl keeps coming back and it's something that she can't escape because that's also how it is for all of those other girls with all of those other identities that are going to be seen during that time period as more quote-unquote dangerous to be right but it's like if you can be clocked for something so simple so continuously throughout your entire life and you do see she continues to get sort of frustrated about it but it's also a privilege for her to be able to be outwardly frustrated like none of the other girls get to say something like oh stop calling me gay right Mm -hmm. the way that Carson gets to say oh stop calling me farm girl and like that's that's important that's a big part of like the privilege that you were talking about earlier Mab as someone who just like does not get it and it hasn't the worst thing that happens to her yeah the worst thing that can happen to Carson is she has to yet again explain that she doesn't that she doesn't know how to milk cows right or i don't know uh, i can't tell you anything about chickens i'm from a city and, and like that's her struggle right and i shouldn't say it's her only struggle right like she's also either bisexual or gay but it doesn't matter she can't explore her queer sexuality because it's 1942 and she's just a married lady and that's you know her, her job is 43 to stay 43? yeah okay well, but, her, but her job is to stay home and you know make babies for her husband veteran that's like what her job is supposed to be and so she's got her own struggle but I love that the show is willing to see that there are levels of mm-hmm. you know yeah. of different problems like it, it is also it's not explicitly mentioned but it, it is kind of hinted at that there is also a weirdness of because she is straight passing she's not as easily accepted into like the gay community as Lupe is you know like because because she doesn't yes. look like she doesn't look like she should be a lesbian like that's or or at least that's the conception that the show takes right like you know you don't look part and so which makes her be you know when she's like wandering into the gay bar and she also doesn't understand it because how would she ever right like Mm -hmm. she 
she's had no experience here whatsoever and so that makes though that I, makes I, her life weird i would say that maybe it's, it's more like how she acts than how she looks because i i didn't like that moment when she is in the gay bar that she is a, is like confused about like mm-hmm. there are different there are, she's like wait you're queer they're queer but they look different but like you know there's like all these like different ways that you can be <laughs> right. and 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 the obvious metaphor of she had just seen wizard of oz yeah yes yes I'm so upset yeah. that Adam never got to see it. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> so the friends of Dorothy aspect of that, but also like in yeah. that scene, one of yes. one of my favorite things is is when she when she says, you know, but they're soldiers. And Rosie O'Donnell, I, I don't remember Rosie O'Donnell's character. I think it's Vi. I think is her name. Rosie O'Donnell's character is like, honey, there are a lot of soldiers in here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, 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 there that those levels or those layers of privilege were you know yes you're a woman in 1943 but you present feminine and therefore and also are married so you are very much the least likely to be raided and, and jailed because you're mm-hmm. suspected of being yeah. queer and Max also has that privilege in a way because she's also feminine presenting as the pastor's wife is or, or you know or, or these characters but then you have Uncle Bert can't hide mm-hmm. his who he is and Joe in in many ways right yeah. and 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 all the other characters of course are do not want to wear skirts all the time and yes. so, yeah. so 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 those those layers it's just like you said all each character has a moment where they're extremely unlikable but it mm-hmm. makes the narrative very compelling because then there's growth because if they're mm-hmm. all perfect on day one then there's no point of a second season which we need yeah, yeah. And so, there, there, yeah. There was a subtle character arc too, and I forget the character's name, but the the chaperone. Yes. There, there's a character that so could have been a cliche in that, just you know the 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 one ruling over there and controlling things, and just these little subtle moments with her and changes throughout the entire series. I thought were just so well done, just, I, just humanizing it, her in a way that they yeah. they could very easily have not done. Because she could have been one of those. I forget in the Handmaid's Tale. There's a, there's a character who's like this this sergeant kind of mm-hmm. you know she's the one enforcing the the, yeah. the the kinds of oppression that is being meted out on on women mm-hmm. she is a one note never redeems herself and and she could have been that she could have just been the the symbol of that patriarchy who's there to kind of put well just put barriers in front of these women yeah. but she and, isn't and that is great yeah and, and seem to represent that when she was first introduced yes. in the show and, yeah. and they they subverted that in really nice ways not, and, and nothing and, nothing horribly overt yeah. just it was a you know like everything else there was this slow when, build and character arc that i, when, I really liked yeah. when she mm-hmm. hands just back her feet yeah. wearing yes. pants i was yeah I, was, I mean i was already crying from the final game yeah <laughs> and i really just i appreciate how to actually talk about the movie for a second like the the show referenced the movies the movie in a couple ways like mm-hmm. you know the there's no crying in baseball. No crying in baseball. And it was no, it was 
so yeah. brilliant how it, it turned into like commentary on, on Carson's tears instead of, you know, Tom Hanks being terrible. And then like the, the final game and like in the movie, there's tension between the two sisters and Gina Davis has to play against her sister. And that you're torn as an audience, you know, about like, who am I rooting for? And the kind of culmination of your feelings isn't necessarily in who wins, but like the relationships between the characters. So it was it was so brilliant in how they resolved that game with Joe and mm. just the reunite. Like, I, I'm going to start crying right now. I, <laughs> Josh and I were watching. There's no crying just, in podcast, Anna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Josh and I were like sobbing. Just like, I think he might love the show more than I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it is such an unusual. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I can't quite co- connect it to any other show on, well, do you say TV anymore or on stream on the air? <laughs> because it's so just, it's such, because it has that, that, that anchor in history. And I remember when they were trying out, there were some women, older women in a stance. And I wondered if it was a cameo, you know, from real leaguers from back when. And, and it, so there's that history, there's that realness there. There's that, it's raw, it's very, you know, just that depth of, of the, the, the stories that we never really focus on, that are never really center stage, the, the queer stories, the, the racial discrimination, but then also just, you know, it's just a great, just funny and well-written. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and the fact that they subvert the white savior trope is, is very interesting as well. They don't fall into her, what is it, Carson helping at the, at the store, for instance. And someone pointed that out and I said, oh, you know, that's a good point because I was expecting that she was going to step in and say, you have to serve her. Me as a white woman, I'm here to save her. But it doesn't actually happen quite that way, yeah. even though it, it, she does step out of the way. So, so yeah, very, we need, we need more. So, so I think we, I'm sorry, Wayne, I don't mean to steal yeah, your line. Yeah, that's so, fine. So, so we resolved something today. Yeah. More. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do hope there's a second season. The, the streaming world's weird, particularly with uh, networks like Amazon, where because of their model and Amazon, you know, is not going to be dependent on content creation for their revenue stream. A lot of really good shows can just, you know, fade away and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they get another season. It could be years from now. It could be a media. It could just never happen again. In the same space as this, I was a big fan of the Amazon series Good Girls Revolt. And it just it did one season and out and it ends on a cliffhanger just like this does. And <laughs> that's just mm-hmm. it. That's just it. That's just mm-hmm. the end of it. So I do. I do hope it comes back. That's what I, I mean. It, it has broken into the such that they are numbers. This has like broken into like the top 10 of like streaming shows. Like yes. it's it's not doing Sandman or Stranger Thing numbers, but it's it's there. And Will, Will Graham, the co-creator alongside Abby Jacobson, who also plays Carson, has been tweeting to the fans. And I am one of them. And he he did say that like Amazon usually like waits about a month to like kind of see like how things are going. And we are kind of at the one month mark. So everybody start watching. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it it should. I mean, at time of recording, I can't give you Nielsen numbers yet because they should probably be out. Well, okay, Nielsen numbers. If you go back to our episode about about ratings for streaming shows are delayed, but they're delayed enough that I think next week we will have the possibility of seeing where the Nielsen's were for this show 
cool and whether or not it's in their top 10, which is what you really, really want for a streaming show. I don't know that it will in its first week because unlike Netflix, Amazon doesn't necessarily do the tons of promotion before expect everything to happen on the first week and then like expect no one to ever care again. So we'll see. It might be next week. It might be the week after that. But I think I'm hoping it does. OK, mm. yeah. well, I, there, isn't there some I, talk about how Prime is very much changing on how Ring, uh, what is it, Rings of Power does? Because they pretty mm. much put all of their money in that basket. So they put a lot of money like, into that basket. It's doing fine. I mean, again, those those numbers also not out for the final Nielsen's yet. But buzz wise, I can tell Ring, Rings of Power is going to is going to be fine. I don't know that it's going to be hundred million dollars an episode fine because that's stupid. <laughs> but it's clearly getting the viewership like just you can tell from Twitter. Yeah, I mean, this is a different episode, but let's be honest. Amazon's not going out of business anytime soon, right? So like, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about like, what does this show do well enough that people are like, yeah, let's have more of that. And, and they should because it was really good. Right. Anyway, I thought it was great. But Nella, thank you for joining us. This was yes. this was great. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. This was great. Is there anywhere people can go to find more stuff about you or your work? I mean, you can, I, I do have work listed on Google Scholar, but I think the most immediate and non-dry way to <laughs> reach me is on Twitter at Aura, O-R-A, Ron's Wild, O-R-A-R-U-N-S-W-I-L-D. And, and that's my Twitter right now, unfortunately, given at the time we're recording, the queen died. And so there's a lot of anti-imperialist, anti-monarchist uh, tweets going out. But other than that, I do speak also about sports and my research <laughs> and this commentary on, on, on popular culture in general. And and yes, so so that, that's the thing, the biggest, the, the best way to, to reach me. And yeah. We did this whole episode and I didn't talk about the controversy of my alma mater, CMU. Yeah. <laughs> at, at all. And I, and I have feelings. And if you listen to our show, you can guess which side I'm on. And it's not CMU. <laughs> <laughs> the side all of us are on, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh, I think was I just didn't want to speak for everyone else. Yeah. Well, no, it's just, a, it's a, you know, this is, I mean, I'm glad that woman has tw- has, has tenure. It's, it's because, <laughs> because, right. oh God. It, it, oh, and I'm, speaking of Amazon, so right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm so ashamed of, of my, my school, <laughs> my former school, because I work somewhere else now. But anyway, Palindrome Hannah, where can people find you? Here, but I do <laughs> want to do my usual plug by saying, hey, you should maybe consider kicking in some extra cash to National Network of Abortion Funds if you have, have some to spare. We, we still have problems in the U.S. with abortion access. It, things are changing for different states every day, so donate or find other ways to support. And Wayne. Yeah, yeah here, mostly. <laughs> come, come on, you, you know. I know, I know. Just say, you know, my, uh, Hannah had something, so I thought maybe this time we know. Well, I, I, I did post a blog recently for the first time in a while. Did? Just, yeah. yeah, some of my experiments with some creative nonfiction about some real things in my life, so it's more personal than a lot of my blogs. Yeah. And, and, and mostly true. 
<laughs> and Monica Marvelous. You know, in my research for this show, I learned that there, I didn't realize that the American Women's Baseball League was quite so Midwestern. And I was incredibly happy to learn that there's actually, there used to be a team in my hometown, which is the Battle Creek, Michigan, the Battle Creek Bells. And I, I grew up mm-hmm. going to the baseball stadium where they played, which I thought was adorable, which isn't really where you find me. But if you yeah. want to talk to me about baseball facts, you can find me on Twitter at Monica Marvelous. And that is L-O-U-X. Absolutely. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. All the places always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show. All those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. And, you know, we've got a, we got a bunch of blogs in the fire, so I've actually lost track and I've said that the last couple of shows, but we've got some interesting stuff coming up. So check that out and leave us comments and leave us your thoughts because, you know, we want to be able to address them on the show. And you can give us comments on what you think on of this or any other show and you can suggest topics. You can ask to be a guest. All kinds of fun stuff. If you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out, especially if you don't just leave us a five-star rating, but you leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I would like to thank Maximilian of Vought for music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out i'd once again like to thank ornella for joining us i'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye, bye. bye. bye.